الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وسلم تسليما كثيرا to proceed, we are continuing with our discussion surrounding the hadith known as Hadith Ummi Zara, found in Bukhari and Muslim and other sources as well. And uh, by the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His facilitation, Jalla we were able to go through the entire hadith <coughs> in the previous two sessions and Briefly, and it comments on it, the interpretation of its wording and some of the unfamiliar words in it. And uh, today in this third and final session, by the permission of Allah, Jalla we're going to talk about of the benefits that are of importance to married people or people who are about to embark upon the journey of marriage that can be uh, derived from this hadith and discussions surrounding some of the elements found in this hadith. And this is because the hadith covers the stances, the positions of 11 women regarding their husband. And so there's a variety of family situations being exposed in it. And because of that richness of experience that is being brought from all these women into the hadith, you find that you are looking into a lot of family situations all at once. And surely... It is from the greatest of benefits to learn from the mistakes and likewise the successes of others. So the women who have criticized their husbands, we can learn from their criticism. And the women that have praised their husbands, we can learn from their praise. Such that that which is to be criticized in a marriage should be avoided. And that which is to be praised should be uh, sought after and embraced or adhered to. And these women have repeated certain criticisms or praises such that you, you can see that this is a common either problem or a common source of happiness in a marriage when more than one person talks about the same thing over and over. An example of this is the fact that the tenth woman said, Zawji Malik, my husband is an owner. And what is an owner? Or the other interpretation, his name is Malik. And then she said, Malikun khayrun min dhalik. He owns better than that. Meaning whatever crosses your mind, he owns better than that. And so she starts talking about his wealth. And the 11th woman, which is 
she talks about the wealth of her husband, Abu Zara, and then she talks about the wealth of her next husband after Abu Zara divorced her. And likewise, <coughs> the ninth woman, she talked about the wealth of her husband, describing him as one who has long poles, meaning his tents are large and that he um, uh, is always hosting people and and is generous to his gifts and so on and so forth. Again, a reference to his wealth. So this is an indication that a man's wealth and his generosity with his family is a reason for happiness to be found in his home. However, if one was to be wealthy and have means but not spend on his family, then that's a reason for the opposite, such as in the situation of the wife of Abu Sufyan, she came to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and she said, Inna Aba Sufyan Rajulun Shahih and Abu Sufyan is a man who is stingy. Meaning he does not spend on me and my child or children from him sufficiently. So the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to her, Khudi ma yakfiki wa waladik bil ma'roof. Take, meaning from his money, that which is sufficient for you and your children in a manner that is deemed acceptable. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam guided her on how to about dealing with her husband's stinginess that she can take from his wealth in a way that is deemed the norm, deemed acceptable, an amount that is deemed the norm, deemed acceptable. If he does not spend on her sufficiently, she may take from his money that which is sufficient. Now here is an issue that may come up. Does she take from his money by force or does she take from his money without him knowing? It seems that the closer opinion is that she may take from his money without him knowing, such that it does not lead to bigger problems. If she takes from his money by force, then obviously that is opening a door of fitna, and instead of causing rectification in the family, it causes a great deal of trials and tribulations. So she can take until sufficiency is reached. So if she is not sufficed, like for example, her husband is wealthy, but her clothes are torn, she doesn't even have uh, the bare minimum, or there's not enough food for to go around the family, although her husband is rich. And this is a woman who has an excuse to follow this hadith, and this hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari. But going back to the original point, the point here is that a man's wealth and generosity combined together is a reason for happiness to be found in his home and his wife to be um, happy with him. And the Prophet ﷺ has indicated this meaning. He ﷺ used to say, Tahadu tahabu, give each other gift and you will love one another. So a man who has wealth and is generous with his family indeed will continue to give and continue to give them from his wealth and continue to spend on them and that will only increase the love between him and his family. And on the opposite, on the other hand, a man's poverty 
and lack of means is usually a reason for a woman to become tired with him. This is usually the case. And very commonly, one of the reasons that women seek divorce is feeling that they are not adequately sufficed for and they're not adequately provided for. And so, it behooves a woman to select a husband who can adequately for, uh, provide for her when she's approaching marriage. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the hadith of Fatima bin Tuqais, when she came to him sallallahu alayhi wasallam, she said, so and so proposed to me, and so and so proposed to me. She mentioned two men from among the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam did not like either of these two options for her. And he sallallahu alayhi wasallam said about one of them, as for so and so, then he is su'lukun la ma'la lahu. Su'luk is a word used to refer to a man's poverty. And then he said la ma'la lahu, he has no assets, he has wealth. So he sallallahu alayhi wasallam exposed to her that which he knew of the man's financial situation because it is known that a woman will not be happy with the man who is not able to cover her needs. And so the Messenger وسلم, given that she came to him seeking advice, gave her sincere advice, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and part of sincere advice is to show her the flaw in her. So it is a flaw in her to be uh, financially weak and incapable of providing for his family. And in reality, this, this reminds us of an issue that has become more prevalent today, that we see men staying at home whilst the women are working. And, uh, and the men are starting to act like the women of old. Allah Jalla wa'ala did not make it so. Rather, Allah Jalla wa'ala said to the women folk, وَقَرْنَا فِي بُيُوتِكُنَا And remain in your home. Allah Jalla wa'ala addressing the women of the Messenger of Allah said, وَقَرْنَا فِي بُيُوتِكُنَا And remain in your home. So a woman who adheres to this divine guidance, she's going to stay at home unless there is a reason for her to leave her house. Today, we find brothers acting this way. Brothers staying at home unless there is a reason to leave the house while the women folk are working. So the woman is the, the winner of bread and the man is staying at home and perhaps he will even take on some of her tasks and he will be cleaning and watching the children and so on and so forth. This is a reversal of roles. This is not a good thing. This is actually contrary to the contrary to the original and inherent nature that Allah created men upon and women upon women are the uh, what is commonly uh, called the weaker gender. And men are built stronger and rougher and more ready to go about and to go out and handle the matters that require strength and require courage and require the characteristics that men are normally built with. So for a woman to be forced to go out and deal with the world like that, this is actually a reversal of her role. And this is an attempt to change her nature and to make her go outside of her normal uh, characteristics. A woman is supposed to be at home taking care of her family, 
a woman is supposed to be soft and gentle, able to provide love and care and tenderness for her husband, for her children, and so on and so forth. All of these things that are naturally found in a woman and things that are considered feminine. So if a woman is forced to take on the role of a man and a man is actually taking on the role of a woman, you're going to find that both their characteristics have become reversed. She's more masculine, he's more feminine, and so on and so forth. This is a fitna that is today becoming more and more prevalent with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save us and the Muslimin from it. Um, another issue that comes up here <coughs> is the fact that for a man to embark on marriage to begin with, he is advised to first have the means to. Because the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam advising the young men, he said, يَا مَعْشَرَ الشَّبَابِ مَنِ اسْتَطَاعَ مِنْكُمُ الْبَاءَةَ فَلِيَتَزَوَّجِ Oh, young men, whoever from amongst you can afford to, and then he married. Afford to is the translation of al-ba'a. Several opinions of the people of knowledge regarding what he intended sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the word al-ba'a. However, this seems to be the strongest opinion uh, from amongst the people of knowledge that what he intended, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with word al-ba'a is financial means, the ability to marry and to then continually provide for a wife. And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, did not stop there, but rather he continued in his hadith and gave advice to those who cannot afford to. He said, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْطَطِعْ فَعَلَيْهِ الصَّوْمِ and as for the one who cannot, then it is upon him to fast. Meaning if you are yet to find the means to support a wife and to marry, then it is upon you to fast. For surely it is going to act as a wija for him. Meaning it is, a, it is a means to reduce his desires and help him control and gain uh, control over himself and his desires such that he can be patient while waiting for marriage. Naam. This advice from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam contains within it the advice to seek a means of living and to seek a means for obtaining provisions such that an individual can marry and then continually provide for family. Now on the other hand, when you look at the criticisms of these women, you also find some um, reoccurring themes. An example of that is that which is found in the statement of the woman who said that my husband is ghayaya or ayaya. This is the seventh woman. Part of her criticism for him is that she said, Shajjaki, aw fallaki, aw laki. He will either give you an injury to your head, this is a shajj, shajj is an injury to the head, or fallaki, give you an injury to your body. And fall is an injury, sustained body, such as, you know, breaking a bone or causing her to bleed. We seek the refuge of Allah from this. Um, 
she mentioned this criticism of her husband, the seventh woman. This is reoccurring because other women have said words that indicate this is a flaw also found in them, although they did not specifically mention it, such as the, the first woman who described the husband as the meat of a skinny camel on top of a rough climbing mountain. It is neither an easy climb nor is the meat fat worthy of climbing too. Well, this is an indication of him being difficult to deal with and part of being difficult to deal with is that he may get physical with her and hit her. And likewise, the second woman, she said that I fear that I will not leave any of his affairs unexposed if I start talking about him, so I'm not going to talk about him. If I talk about him, I will talk about his hidden flaws and his apparent flaws. Al-Ujar wal-Bujar, we mentioned that this is a reference to flaws hidden in the parent. And from the hidden flaws of a man is that he will be hitting his family at home. Although people don't know that he's doing this in public, it is not apparent. But a woman will know about her husband that he has this hidden flaw in him. Naam. Um, so this is also an indication that her general dispraise of her husband indicates that he was also physical with her. And likewise, <coughs> the, uh, the other general dispraise of, of men uh, found by the other women in this hadith may indicate that they were physical with their wives, that they were with their wives. So, in reality, this is a great flaw. A tremendous flaw in a man. Going back to the hadith of Fatima bin Tuqayt who came to the Messenger of Allah and mentioned that two of the companions had proposed to marry her. The other companion that the Messenger of Allah disliked and did not recommend for her, the reason he mentioned sallallahu alayhi wa for this lack of recommendation, he said, إِنَّهُ لَا يَضَعُ الْعَصَى عَنْ عَاتِقِهِ He does not put his cane down from his shoulder, meaning he's always carrying his cane on his shoulder. Some of the people of knowledge said this is a reference to the fact that he is a frequent traveler. He is a frequent traveler. But the stronger opinion regarding the interpretation of this idiom is that he used to beat on women. But it was known about this companion that he would beat on the women. And the reason we lean to this particular interpretation is because in another version of this narration, it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ said, And surely he is one who frequently beats on the women. And when you have such explicit wording um, available in the hadith, explaining another wording that potentially take more than one interpretation, then it is deemed to have ruled for the interpretation that aligns with the explicit wording. So if we have the wording, he carries a cane on his shoulder all the time, and what does that mean? It could mean this or that. But we have the other wording that says that he's frequently beating on women. We say this wording explains the vaguer wording. The specific wording explains the general wording, and so we take that to be the correct interpretation uh, of the hadith. So, given this, 
we understand that the Messenger ﷺ did not recommend that ban to Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha because this is a trait that would turn women away and would cause them lack of happiness in their marriage and lack of satisfaction. This is a tremendous flaw in a man. It is the reason for the Messenger Sallam to discount his proposal. He is a companion. He is a Muslim. He is from the best of generations of mankind. Yet this one trait was the reason for the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to dissuade her and recommend to her to discount his proposal and not take it seriously. And then he وسلم, proceeded to recommend a third companion. He recommended Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhuma for the sister that came seeking his advice. This hadith is in Sahih al Imam Muslim. And so it is to be understood here and very clear that it is discouraged from men to take on such behavior with their women. And the worst of that, and the worst of that, is for a man to be vicious when hitting his women, or hitting his children, or hitting his slaves. This is even worse than just hitting. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in fact made a point to talk about this specific type of hitting. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said <coughs> when advising men regarding the matter of uh, physically disciplining the women he said barban ghayra mubarrih explaining what it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has permitted. He said it is a hitting that does not hurt, that does not cause damage, that will not cause any injuries. So in other words, those individuals who think that Allah has permitted them to hit women, and then they go and they beat on them until they become black and blue, they have nothing to do with Islam. They have nothing to do with the Sunnah. And what they are claiming is from the actions actually related to Islam, it has nothing to do with that. This is simply their ignorance being manifested in their actions, and Islam and the Sunnah are free from this free Islamic ignorance. And furthermore, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, also touching upon this matter, he clarified that it is indeed a strange affair, a wondrous affair, for a man to hit his woman the same way he would beat a slave. He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, يَعْمِدُ أَحَدُكُمْ يَجْرِدُ مْرَأَتَهُ جَلْدَ الْعَبْدِ فَلَعَلَّهُ يُضَاجِعُهَا مِنْ آخِرِ يَوْمِ one of you will go and give his wife lashes the same way he would lash a slave. And then perhaps have relations with her at the end of the day. Meaning this is such a dichotomous 
and strange combination of affairs that it would only come from one who was severely in wrong, severely in error. How could you, at the beginning of the day, beat her in such a severe fashion and then at the end of the day you want to be intimate with her and have relations? This is a thing that the, the, the mind that is sound cannot find a way to combine. How can you be both at the same time loving and vicious and violent? We seek the refuge of Allah from having the likes of these traits, the hadiths in Bukhari. Um, as for his conduct, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it was far removed from all this ignorance. It was extremely and vastly different from this ignorance that we are talking about right now. It is found in the hadith mentioned by Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha in Sahih al-Imam Muslim <coughs> that she said, مَا ضَرَبَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ شَيْئًا قَطُّ بِيَلِهِ وَلَمْرَأَةً وَلَا حَدِمَ إِلَّا أَنْ يُجَاهِدَ فِي سَبِيلِهِ Never did the Messenger of Allah وسلم, ever hit anything with his hand, not a woman nor a servant, except if he was fighting in the cause of Allah. Never did the Messenger of Allah وسلم, ever hit anything with his hand, not a woman nor a servant, except if he was fighting in the cause of Allah. In other words, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it was not his conduct and his habit with the women folk to beat on them. On the contrary, he sallallahu alayhi wasallam was the kindest and gentlest of husbands. And he sallallahu alayhi wasallam, despite the fact that he did not put his hands on his women, he was the most successful in running and managing his household. And so this is actually a proof against those men who claim that they cannot run the household unless they put their hands on the women folk. This is proof against them. They can manage your women folk and run your household without having to resort to physical discipline like this. You can indeed successfully cause change and improvement and be the best of teachers and be the best of role models and examples without having to resort to anything physical. And that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam managed successfully 11 wives sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they loved him so dearly that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligated upon him to give them the option that they may obtain a divorce and be provided with adequate uh, nafaqa, what today we might call as alimony, that they would be provided with ample alimony and be given a divorce and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who granted them this option. So he was obligated to report this to them from Allah wa ta'ala, yet none of his wives, not a single one, chose that option. They all chose to remain with him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, irrespective of the financial situation, irrespective of whether that ample uh, provisions were available or not. His company, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was so joyous and happy and his presence was such a reason for bliss and satisfaction that he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was enough of a gain and a win for them. They all chose to remain with him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is part of his character that made him such a successful husband that he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was not known to put his hand on the women folk. Eleven wives exposing his sunnah, telling you everything that was happening in his home, how it is that he came to his wives, how it is that he was intimate with them, how it is that he would 
dress, undress, bathe, make ghusl, perform the wudu. Some very private details from his home, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, made public for the ummah to learn and study. And yet, it is not found in all those homes that sallallahu alayhi wasallam was violent or uh, was rough with his family. May the blessings of Allah, his exaltations and his greetings be bestowed upon him. So this is another criticism to be leveled at men uh, who practice this. And surely it is a great uh, reason for a woman to be dissatisfied in her marriage, unhappy in it, and will cause general turmoil to be found in the home. Another thing that can be... Uh, taken on the side of things that are praiseworthy is to be gentle and to be level in one's temperament. The fourth woman, she described her husband, she said, He is the, like the ninth of the area of Tihama. We already mentioned that this is the, the flat expanse of land between the Red Sea and the mountains of Al-Hijaz and Yemen. She described them to be like the night of Tihama because she said, neither hot nor cold, meaning it is very nice in temperature. And likewise, her husband, his temperament is so level. He's neither in the two, in, in either of the two extremes. She said, neither does he cause me fear no sa'ara, meaning boredom. So her life with him was very level and stable and there was nothing to be anxious or afraid about. And likewise, he was no, not, so, not so monotonous and tedious, they were boring. Rather, he kept her entertained, kept her happy, along with being very level and giving her no reason to fear. This seems to be a common phrase for the ones who praised their husbands, that their husbands were gentle and level and never gave them reason to be afraid. So this is a trait that a man uh, should be praised for, a trait that sisters should seek in men when they are seeking to be married, and a trait that a man, married or unmarried, should truly seek to embrace and embody because it will only benefit him both in marriage and outside of marriage and increase his character and his development and get him closer to the way of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The eighth woman pretty much explained the same thing. She said, My husband, his, his smell is the smell of Zarnab. We mentioned that this is a, a, a very good smelling plant. Some of the people know it is actually a perfume. And Al-Nasumas-Su'arnab, and his touch is like the touch of a rabbit, meaning that he is uh, soft to the touch, and he is clean and pleasant to touch, meaning that she found it so easy to touch her husband, and she found his touch to be so gentle, that the love between them, and the gentleness that existed in their marriage, was a reason that facilitated or to enjoy him and feel that he was so soft that she would liken him to a rabbit 
liken him to a hair. <coughs> so this is again a repeating false uh, or reason for the praise of the women that the husbands were gentle with them. Um, another point that was mentioned here in this hadith is the matter of paying attention to the women's need. And perhaps uh, we may specifically mention um, conjugal needs, needs for intimacy and relations. And the reason we are deriving this benefit is because there are women who gave general dispraise of, of their husband, indicating that every flaw is to be found in him, such as the woman who said, Every flaw is a flaw for him. Every flaw is a flaw found in him, meaning my husband has every flaw that you can think about. And this is the seventh woman. The sixth woman said, My husband, and she described his greed and eating and drinking, and then she said, And if he lays down, he will bundle himself up. This is an indication some of the people of knowledge said to the fact that he would not be under the same blanket with her. He would actually bundle himself up, meaning he would be in some form of solitude in the home, sleeping away from her and just minding his own sleep and not caring to join her in bed and be intimate with her and uh, caring. And so she was actually complaining of the fact that her needs from him are being unmet. And then her follow-up statement further emphasized or amplified that meaning. She said, وَلَا يُرِجُ الْكَفْتَ لِيَعْلَمَ الْبَثْتِ And he does not insert his palm to know my sadness, meaning he will never put his hand under her blanket to touch her or under her clothes to touch her and give her some comfort by touching her or being intimate with her. Come to recognize how sad she is in her affair with him, that she is neglected and uncared for. So this is a, a dispraise to be leveled at a man that he does not pay the needs of his wife. And this is very different from the way of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa We shall touch upon some of the narrations that cover that uh, as we proceed. Uh, another woman that some of the people of knowledge said is complaining about the exact same thing is the woman who said that my husband, if he enters, meaning the home, this is the fifth woman, Sahida is like the leopard or the puma. Um, some of the people of knowledge said that she's dispraising her husband because it is known that when this particular animal, this particular beast, returns to his lair, it simply sleeps, does nothing but sleep. So she's complaining of her husband's lack of intimacy and sharing time with her, spending time with her. So this is the same problem here. 
some of the people of knowledge actually said it's the opposite. That she's saying he's like the puma, meaning in how he leaps on her. As soon as he sees her, when he enters the home, he cannot hold himself, he cannot contain himself, and so he would jump on her, indicating that he is virile and healthy, and that he uh, is being praised for the fact that he is bringing her joy in this department, in this area of married life. Also, the seventh woman, who said, some of the people of knowledge explaining the word ayayahu, they said this is from Eid, inability, ineptitude. And they said it was a reference to the fact that he is the individual that does not know how to have a relation with women, how to be intimate with a woman. And so her affair with him is always an affair of disappointment and unfulfillment. So again, this is what this is a, uh, a repeating theme and a repeating reason for the dispraise and the criticism of a woman to her husband. And this is not befitting of the practicing individual. Because the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa did not teach the men to be so neglectful of the women. For rather he sallallahu alayhi wa was very caring and concerned as regards every area of his married life. And even this area was an area in which he sallallahu alayhi wa excelled and showed the Muslims the best of examples to follow. It is mentioned that he sallallahu alayhi wa would sometimes visit all of his wives in a single day. Their homes. He would perform a ghusl in each of their homes after having intimacy with his wife, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is an indication of great strength, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in this matter. Likewise, an indication of his great care and love for his family, and that he wants for them what he wants for himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and is as concerned about their rights as he is concerned. Uh, about himself. Sometimes an individual will only care to satisfy himself and not care about the satisfaction of his spouse. And this is surely not from the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rather, it behooves a man to make sure that the needs of his wife, his spouse are met and adequately covered. And this is the way of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam some of the Sahaba used to say that it is our opinion that the Messenger ﷺ was given strength in this department, meaning the department of intimacy and marital relations, that is equivalent to the strength of 30 men. That he was granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, strength in that area, that is equivalent to the strength of 30 men, meaning combined. It behooves a Muslim that is following the Sunnah to follow in the footsteps of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ regarding and to make sure he does not neglect his women folk from this matter and leave them uh, unsatisfied, disappointed and unhappy. Indeed, it is from the main purposes of marriage to become a source of chastity for one another. And a woman who is happily married and her husband is meeting her needs 
and satisfying her has every reason to become chaste and find tranquility. Whereas a woman who is left with needs unmet, neglected and ignored by her husband, is indeed being shortchanged and left without the necessary and required um, provisions that are part of the natural rights. In fact, the people of knowledge have gone into so much detail regarding this in the books of jurisprudence that some of them have given a time limit. And they said that at a minimum, a man must have relations with his wife at a minimum once every four nights. This is in a, in a situation where the man is uh, either incapable or disinterested or so on. And his wife has needs unmet, unmet. So the scholars would obligate upon such an individual that he must exert himself and fear Allah and at least uh, have relations with her once every four nights. To the end of the many, many discussions found amongst the people of knowledge in their books covering this particular area. Moving on, some of the other benefits found in this hadith is the matter of <coughs> a man being easy going with his family and having good management for his family. And this is taken from the statement of the woman who said a husband is al-ashanna. Now in our previous explanation of al-ashanna, we said this is the long man, this is the tall man, sorry, who has no benefit in him except for his height, meaning there is nothing from the associated benefits of height to be found in him. He's just tall and useless. Now some of the other people of knowledge have said in their explanations, an alternative explanation is al-ashanna is the man who is firm and does not let them get their way with him. And this is also a distraise. Being firm is praiseworthy. But making one's family feel that he is stubborn and that they cannot obtain anything from him except that which he made up his mind to, this is not appropriate of a man. It is praiseworthy from a man to be firm and to be decisive and to make sound decisions, but it's not praiseworthy to um, discount his wife's opinion and to leave a feeling that her opinion is invalid, is of no importance, is not to see And this is not from the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Rather, Umm Zar, the eleventh woman, part of her praise for her husband is she said with him meaning with Abu Zara I would speak and I would not be told that what I said was useless or pointless or disliked rather she was given room to speak speak her mind and made to feel that her opinion is valid and that her speech is heard and being taken into account. 
this does not necessarily mean that a man is obeying everything his, his, his wife is asking for, and surely this is unbefitting as well. This is also another form of extremism. Um, and we, sh we will touch upon that briefly. Uh, but it means that she feels like she's been heard, regardless of what final decision a man comes to, he's making his family feel included and feel that they're being heard and that their voice carries it with him. She also said, describing her husband, And he made me feel good about myself. He kept telling me his opinion of me, that I'm this and I'm that and I'm this, until I became convinced that I was as good and as... as uh, praiseworthy as he thought of me so his continual uh, good speech of her and good description of her reached to the point that even convinced her to have a good opinion of her own self this is an indication of this type of treatment that the husband is encouraged to have and like we mentioned this is found in the sunnah of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he would include his wife in his affairs, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to uh, an extent, and that he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, would make them feel <coughs> that their voices are heard and their opinions are valid, and that they carry weight with him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In fact, when the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, commanded his companions to slaughter the hadi, the animals that they brought with them to Mecca for, um, for their visit during the year of Al-Hudaybiyah. And he commanded them to shave. Not a single man got up. They did not get up, not out of disobedience to the Messenger Sallallahu and his command, but rather, they got up hoping that Allah would relieve them from this burden, the burden of having to turn back from Mecca and go without having entered it. It was an extremely painful affair for the companions of the Messenger of Allah who were used to Allah sending down his victory. And Allah giving them the upper hand over the disbelievers every time. But here, they were being turned back. And the Messenger of Allah had accepted returning to Medina without entering Mecca. And they were all extremely pained by this turn of events, this unexpected turn of events. They did not even raise a sword and did not even fight and try to enter Mecca by force. And here is the messenger of Allah telling them to return. So after he commanded them to slaughter and shave, not a single man from amongst them got up. So what did he do there, sallallahu alayhi He entered upon his wife, Umm Salama. She said, uh, sorry, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa Meaning, I just faced Something from the people, meaning that hurt me, that concerned me, that was heavy and burdensome upon me. He, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, did not wish to see amongst his companions the the slowness in responding to his command. And this was not their habit, nor was it their conduct. But the reason was the heaviness of heart that they were experiencing. So she said to him, "Would you love it that they follow your command?" And then she gave him advice. She said, اُخُجْ وَلَكْتُ كَلِّمَنَّ أَحَدَ مِنْهُمْ كَلِّمَ حَتَّى تَنْحَرَى بُدَنَكْ وَتَدْعُ رَحْمَةً 
that if you like for this to happen, go on and do not speak to a single one of them, not a single word. Not until you slaughter your own animal and call the one who is going to shave you, to shave you. So the Prophet ﷺ took her advice, took her words, and went out, did not speak to anyone until he slaughtered, and then he called the one who was going to shave him, and so he shaved him. So when the people saw that the Messenger ﷺ had carried this out, they started following his command and started shaving each other's head and following what the Messenger ﷺ had dictated to the end of the hadith. The point is here that he sallallahu alayhi wasallam would even consult with his wife regarding some of the heavy affairs that concern the ummah. And he sallallahu alayhi wasallam would take their words into the consideration, would take them with, uh, with heaviness and contemplate the benefits found in them. And if their opinions happen to be sound and applicable, he sallallahu alayhi wasallam would hasten to apply that and be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for causing the truth to be to become apparent or the soundest opinion to become apparent upon the hand or upon the tongue of his family. This is from the conduct of the Muslim man that would even include his family members <coughs> in the decision making, make them part of it and would um, make them feel heard and feel understood. And this is also part of this hadith. The hadith itself as a whole is being mentioned by Imam Bukhari under the chapter regarding uh, the conduct with one's family. So the fact that the Messenger heard this entire long narration from Aisha عنها, attentively listening and then finally making the, the beautiful comment that he made at the end وسلم, this is an indication of the same thing that a man is supposed to have these kinds of moments with his family where he would listen, listen attentively speak with them, be open with them, and allow for this kind of beautiful interaction to occur uh, with them, and not be aloof and distant. Um, as for the benefit we mentioned that we're going to touch upon briefly, which is extremism in this regard, going to going beyond boundaries in this regard, it is actually counterproductive to be obedient to one's wife. <coughs> obedient. It's not something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligated upon the men towards the wives, rather it is the opposite. But also from the matter of the reversal of the role. It is the women folk that are obligated by Allah ta'ala to obey their husbands, meaning, so long as they do not command them to disobey Allah. We have the general principle in the sunnah that the Messenger taught us, There is no obedience to the creation in the disobedience of the Creator. So, when a creation commands you <coughs> to disobey the Creator, the general principle is there is no obedience. You disobey whoever tells you to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, this concept is found in the hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu in Bukhari Muslim. So the idea here is that some men have gone beyond the reasonable boundaries of including their wives to the point that they have become obedient to them. Whatever their wives want, they get it. Whatever their wives say, it gets done. Whatever their wives command, it becomes the norm. This will actually backfire and turn against the individual 
and cause his wife to dislike him because it is in the nature of a woman to seek a guardian in her husband. She wants her husband to become her guardian, her caretaker, and the one who will run her affairs and not have her worry about running her own affairs. And so a woman who finds her husband obeying her in everything that she, she commands and everything that she dictates will actually start feeling that her affair is in her own hands. He is simply executing what she wants. He's simply performing the role of carrying out what she wants and that she is really in control of her own situation. And so it will lessen his guardianship in her own eyes and she will become dissatisfied from him. Sheikh Saleh ibn Abdul Aziz al-Sheikh, may Allah preserve him, mentioned that this is actually an observation that is found amongst the judges, meaning in court of Sharia, that marital problems occur because of this kind of behavior from men that are attempting to please their wives in every way possible and obey them in everything, agree to everything that they want, and the men have pretty much lost control of their guardianship and no longer fulfilling that role, that this would become a reason for the woman to become dissatisfied with him and no longer find him suitable for her. So this actually backfires, and this is not from the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu rather it is that balanced middle approach where a man would take his wife's opinion into consideration but finally come to his own decision depending on what he sees to be the most befitting for his family and their welfare. This is the correct approach. It's to be followed by a person of the sunnah as regards this. These are some of the benefits to be found in this hadith and some of the comments uh, that we could by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bring forth uh, from the sunnah, from the authentic narration, uh, in an attempt to highlight how these aspects come into play for married people and likewise those who are seeking to get married. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this sincerely for him and accept it from us. We ask Allah jalla wa ala to make this beneficial for those who listened and those who uh, have attended and likewise to reward those who organized and facilitated this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us all our sins, bestow his mercy upon us, and make us from those who listen to the best of speech and follow the best of it, seeking the face of Allah. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam. Wa barak ala nabihi bihi Muhammad. وآله وصحبه أجمعين جزاكم الله خيرا